0: Hey, Blaine from DTC Pod here. And today we've got two amazing AI tools for you guys to check out. So, AI is obviously eating the world. And these two by HubSpot, where you're really going to love. So, the first one's called Content Assistant. Basically, helps you create amazing content, which matters more today than ever. Everyone's creating content, so you've got to stand out. Um, with HubSpot's AI powered Content Assistant, you can brainstorm, create, and share content of Flash all inside a super easy to use CRM. So, you know, think things like, Brainstorming blog ideas, blog outlines, drafting copy on any topic from marketing trends to media kits, or writing value props for your landing pages, prospecting emails, and more. Uh, the second one is ChatSpot, which is basically a conversational bot that sits on top of your HubSpot CRM. So it's going to automate all the manual tasks inside of HubSpot, help you engage more customers, close more deals, and scale a little bit faster. Um, so. If you want to find out more about how to use AI to grow your business, check out hubspot.com artificial intelligence. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Final Loop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Final Loop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finalloop.com slash Pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Sc- Scott Crumrine, who is the co-founder and CEO of Guava Family. So, Scott, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Yourself, your background, and what you guys have built at Guava.
1: Yeah, thanks, Blaine. It's it's great to be here. Um, Guava family, uh, we make products for parents, gear for new parents to help kind of get out and get a recharge. Um, you know, having kids is a fantastic experience, but it's also really challenging. And sometimes you really kind of need to get out and get some fresh air. And um, oftentimes, parents used to do that before they had kids. And we make gear to to enable them to take their little ones out and, and have those experiences still once they have the kids. Um, my background's product design. I started uh, designing products at a product design agency, and then eventually in the action sports industry. And uh, I left that with the goal to start a product company. And that's Guava.
0: So how'd you land on uh, how'd you land on Guava in terms of like family products, baby products, all that sort of stuff? What was the what was the inspo there?
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I I was. Uh, I was, I didn't have kids. I was dating at the time, not even, uh, engaged or married while I was dating my now wife. Um, and I was, you know, again, I wanted to start a product company. I wanted to build a product company rather than just design products. Um, and so I was kind of looking for what other industry would be, um, a little bit bigger than the industry I was in. I was in the action sports industry, specifically the wakeboarding category. So it's, it's a fairly small industry relative to total action sports and relatively small industry in general. Um, and so I was looking for a bigger industry. Um, I was, you know, engineer in the action sports industry is a fantastic place to be in kind of your early to mid twenties because that's all I thought about anyway. And I found that I do better. I think about products better when I'm, my mind share is in that just kind of recreationally as well. And so at some point I knew I was going to kind of grow up a little bit, and I was looking for the next kind of phase of life where I would be spending a lot of mind share. And, um, and so I started looking at the baby industry, uh, because also at the same time, there was a lot of attention on, um, uh, uh, recalls at, let's see in 2016 and seven Mattel had a big recall because of lead paint and toys. And so all of a sudden there's this intense kind of focus on product quality, material safety, stuff like that. So I thought maybe there's something about this industry where we can build a, a product. Uh, product brand a product company out of that um and after looking at the industry for a long time talking to parents we realized that traveling with kids um is a fantastic memory often but it's a really difficult experience and so if we could make that a little bit easier for parents um we thought there was a lot of value there so started looking at different uh gear that parents use for traveling and figured out how to innovate on those.
0: Yeah, I mean, super exciting because I remember when I was growing up, we did a whole bunch of travel as a family and I'm sure it was not fun for my parents. And I think, uh, you know, kind of to your point and what you guys are building, you guys are really solving a problem with your product. You're tackling that problem in terms of, hey, travel and getting around with kids is great, but it's difficult. And that's even coming through when, you know, um, for anyone who's like listening, if you if you go to the website, you see you guys are really taking almost like an outdoorsy, explorative sort of narrative um, on your landing page, and yeah. combining the you know functionality and the form of your products into that sort of like exploratory sort of lifestyle. So why don't you yeah. tell me a little bit about what was that process like in terms of? Discovery and what were the first, I guess, products that you did build and how did you tackle solving those problems?
1: Yeah, well, we weren't sure what product we were going to do for it. Like, I feel like we had identified a really interesting industry and um, products generally that probably could use some innovation, even though there were some, there obviously were companies that were making really neat things and in, innovating from a product standpoint. But um, I, we spent a lot of time talking to parents, figuring out kind of what, you know, I'd say, you know, what were your, take me through from finding out you are pregnant to kind of the first two years of the baby's life. What were the peaks? What were the valleys and memories? And oftentimes travel came up. It's either a really fantastic memory or actually a really difficult memory because it was so hard. And so that's, that's a, like a huge signal right there. And at the same time, my uh, girlfriend at the time and my wife had just come back from a trip And this is when we were kind of noodling on what we were going to work on in this industry. And she said, you know what? You need to solve travel for parents. I've seen so many, I saw so many families in the airport. It just looks so stressful. And so while I don't think we've solved the experience and made it super easy, I think in some way we've we've helped and, and enabled people to get out and get a recharge a little bit easier. Specifically, we started with the travel crib category because the portable cribs hadn't really changed a lot. Um, you know, when we started looking this in 2000, when I started looking at it about 2008, um, they had gotten much safer, but functionally the experience was still really kind of cumbersome and difficult and heavy. And I was coming from outside the industry, totally different background. So I didn't really look at what was out there beyond that. It was difficult. I didn't take it apart and figure out how to make it a little bit better. We just started with something from scratch that if we were going to design something, here's how we would do it.
0: Awesome. And then yeah, let's let's go through that design sort of exercise in terms of getting things stood up. So what was yeah. um you know, what were the first solutions that you came up with? What were the first prototypes? How did you get them manufactured? How did you get them funded? Yeah. Like what was the what what was the inception like?
1: Yeah, it's it was fairly unique because I got to rely a lot on my kind of past background when I was in the actual sports industry. Um the, the company I worked for was a company called liquid force that also had a kiteboarding division at the time. and um, So I had been working on kind of kiteboarding kites, which I don't know if you're familiar with those, but the leading edge of those is is a really cool rigid inflatable technology. And so the brilliant thing about them is you can have this huge kite that's got this rigid leading edge when it's set up and you can dump the air out of it and it can pack down into a little backpack. And it seemed crazy, but I was like, why don't we just make a frame out of that and get it really small? And so I started, as soon as I, you know, I had this kind of great relationship with this supply chain before starting Guava because we were making those. And so as soon as I kind of started spinning this idea around in my head, sent a few drawings to my suppliers, I went over to Asia and I spent a bunch of time in Asia kind of prototyping, iterating on that. And we came the first product we came out with was a product called the Go Crib, which had a rigid inflatable frame that you could set up um to the size of kind of a standard portable crib, but packed down into a little backpack and it was much lighter, about a third the weight of a standard portable crib. Third to well, other half the weight, depending on the crib. Um and so yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to rely on kind of that pa- those past relationships past supply chain. Um and I didn't have kids at the time, so I was able to Put my head down and spend a lot of time back and forth between here and the, the suppliers. We're still fantastic friends with it and, um, and make it happen.
0: Sweet. And why don't you tell me about, um, you know, let's talk about like launching it and now getting your product that you've kind of built and prototyped into the hands of um, prospective parents and kids, right? Like, so what, what was yeah. that like? How, how many prototypes did you generate um, of your like Jeez. MVP? And then, you know, how, how'd you fund it? Like all of that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. MVP is a, MVP's a, uh, a tricky concept for physical products, especially in the baby industry. So what we did was we kind of went to MVP, um, brought it to a trade show and then said, Hey, you know, the goal was, can we convince a, sh- a you know, this was before this was 2010. Yeah, probably 2010. So this is really before kind of e-commerce was really accessible and a thing, especially for a product that people wanted to kind of touch and feel and understand, right? Um, and so our go-to-market plan was to go to the trade shows, try and find boutique retailers and hopefully a big retailer to touch it and feel it and like it and, and order a few and carry in their shop. It was very traditional. Um, and so our MVP was basically, let's get it to the point where... It, it looks beautiful. We can make sure that it's certified from a, kind of, from a federal standard point of view. And then get a little booth at a trade show and see if we can convince someone to give us an order form and a credit card. And once we got to that, we felt confident that, and we did that. And because it was so different, it was so distinct, um, it got a decent amount of interest. And we signed up a bunch of shops. And so we said, okay, we feel comfortable now kind of finishing this up, finalizing a bunch of tooling um, that was originally just kind of machine prototypes and um, starting a production run, a pre-production in the
0: production room. Um, so what? Again, it was very traditional, it was wholesale business. It was not direct. Definitely, definitely. And um, I'm sure that was like valuable to get that physical product in the hands of the people and in the trade show and everything to get that sort of product validation before you know, scaling up, yeah. obviously 2008, it was uh, the, the infrastructure to be able to execute an, an e-commerce or a direct business was a lot, a lot different than it is now. So little uh, just a little bit. So the, the next question I have in terms of rolling out the product was like, you know, let's talk about funding it. How big was that first um, PO? Like how big was the first purchase order? And how did you how, how how'd you guys fund it? Yeah. Again, I
1: think we're very fortunate because of these relationships that I had with these suppliers who kind of in my past role had brought a lot of business to them. They knew I was starting something on my own and they they basically said, how can we help? And the biggest way they could help was to fund inventory for us. And so I made a big ask. I just said, do you mind shipping me a container and I'll pay you after I sell it? And he said, sure, no problem. So they... Our first production was actually financed by our supplier. Um and uh that that really helped us. I don't know how we would have paid for it at the time because we didn't really, you know, I was putting my own time into this, wasn't paying myself, certainly couldn't pay for a full container to come over. Um and he kind of got us kicked off.
0: That's sweet. Um yeah. that's that that's an that's awesome way to hear it start. Yeah, because getting that, you know, cash conversion cycle started is a little bit tricky. But if you've got the it first was- container and you've got some margin to make and, and go get the second one. That'll get the flywheel going. So yeah. um, my next question is like, yeah, why don't you walk me also through the first couple years of the business, right? Like, so you've got your first couple POs, you get some customer feedback starting to come back. Just talk to me about what the trajectory of the business looked like in those first couple of years once there was clear product demand yeah. and, and market for it.
1: Yeah, it was, um, I mean, the first strategy we came out with was a great product to start with because it was so different. So it was easy to get attention at a trade show. It was easy to get kind of attention in the kind of the baby media landscape just because it was so unique. Um, but it wasn't like a mass successful product. Um we, you know, we um we did have a couple of early wins where just kind of this was probably about Maybe three or four months after we started shipping our first product, just kind of on a whim, we decided, hey, let's go to the outdoor retailer show um, because we thought maybe there's like a camping customer that might like this a lot. Maybe there's some camping retail shops, the dream being like REI or something like that. right? And so we got very last minute, got a six by eight booth, like up in the like upstairs wing corner of the convention center. And we set up this little booth. And randomly, a backpack designer for REI walked by and he was about to have a bait. And so he, it, to- it caught his eye. He said, hey, I'm going to put you in touch with our buyer. I think this is fantastic. You know, A couple of weeks later, we got a call from the buyer and said, hey, come up to Washington. We want to chat with you guys. This is uh, October. And for about 45 minutes, we chatted with him. And then it, it kind of became clear towards the end of that meeting that he, would, he, he clearly wanted to buy it and put it in some stores. He was just betting us to make sure that we were like a real thing and could actually deliver, I think. And he said, all right, well, I want to put it in 95 stores for Christmas. Remember, this is October. And uh, and I'm the one that kind of handled production. My kind of business partner at the time was more on the sales side of it. And my mind goes, there's no way. Like, there's no way we can pull that off. And without missing a beat, he goes, yeah, no problem. We can make it happen. And so <laughs> so we had to, um, we basically called our other retailers and said, look, I'm really sorry. We can't, we can't fulfill the, the POs. Again, they're worth that money. Um, and but it was something we were willing to do just to try and see if we could work with REI because the volume, because the credibility, at that time we still, you know, we were a young company and we needed credibility. If people were going to buy something, put their baby in, we needed credibility. And so we we pushed all our inventory to REI and, and started selling 90 REIs and that grew over time. Um, and that was a great win for us. But what we realized was discovery wasn't happening at REI. what well, discovery was happening elsewhere. Whether it was on the web or some article somewhere, or some kind of nascent word of mouth that was starting to happen, and the sales channel was REI. And what we realized is, in addition to that, we were kind of ordering all this inventory, signing you know we got these POs from REI. We're also signing up, trying to sign up other shops. And as an afterthought, we were selling on our website, and we would stock out on our website pretty quickly. And so what effectively what we were doing is we were pushing our inventory down our lowest margin channel and stocking out of our highest margin channel really quickly. And the margins again with REA were not great because the pricing wasn't great. Um they were a fantastic partner for us, but they still had a lot of weight. So they could you know, push us down on price a little bit. Um and so we we kind of realized we're either going to just kind of be on this uphill climb, this treadmill, trying to make retail work where the margins are thin, or we can take a risk and see if we can grow the direct business. And again, at the time was kind of an afterthought, but showed kind of signs of working because it was the quickest channel to stock out. And so after about a year, we told REI that we, we had open POs with them. We said, like, we can't fulfill these. Um, We're really sorry. We're really grateful that you've been able to help us get to this point. Um, And they were super gracious about it. And instead we said, we kind of went all in on direct and, um, And it worked great. I mean, the margins were instantly better, obviously. That allowed us to put more into, we just started at that point, we were able to kind of experiment with kind of direct response on Facebook and Google, again, it was pretty early on Google at that time, Uh, excuse me, on Facebook, Facebook advertising. Um, And so that shift was basically out of necessity. It was either just kind of inch along with really thin margins or try something different and direct was the try something different.
0: And that works great. We are really excited to announce that DTC pod is officially part of the HubSpot podcast network. The HubSpot podcast network is the audio destination for business professionals. And we're really excited about being part of the network because we're going to be able to keep growing the show, bringing you guys amazing guests, and obviously helping you guys learn from the best founders, marketers, and builders of the most successful consumer brands. So... Anyway, keep listening to DTC Pod and more shows like us on the Hubspot Podcast Network at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Yeah, so I think that's really, really interesting in terms of like how you're able to like jumpstart and start the business. It's actually something that um is really relevant even to you know the stuff that I do, right? So the 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 business that we're working on right now, it's in it's in the SaaS space, but we launched it on kind of a third party marketplace where like you said, the margins aren't great, but the distribution is massive, right? So right. you're able to build buzz, people can find it there. And that buzz, is it's almost invaluable to a, bi- a nascent business that's starting to grow because then you've kind of like locked in, in your community. And then yeah. at a certain time, you're like, if I do this forever, my business isn't gonna survive. But in the beginning, it's so hard to generate those sales and generate that trust and that credibility. And I think the key is understanding like where that line is, so you can kind of like you said, make an exit gracefully, and then understand, hey, if we're gonna be in here for the long term, we need to be selling through the channels and growing the business where it's gonna put money into the business and give us fuel to continue to grow. Uh, Yeah. So in in our case, we launched on a marketplace, did about. Three or four months there. If we stayed on there forever, we'd go bankrupt. But it was able to yes. generate just enough buzz and momentum for us to then exclusively go uh, direct. So that's that's awesome to see that you were able to do that. Because I think a lot of brands now, they're you know they're so torn between direct and the, you know retail's all the rage these days in terms of like where where to go and where to sell. So I think also just having that perspective of hey we can. We can pick and choose our spots based on what's best for the business right it's not like we're, we're we won because we've got rei and now we're a full-blown wholesale business like you got to choose it pick and choose your spot so um yeah walk me through after you made that transition to direct right like what were some of the new challenges that you had to take on obviously you've got a product that's physically a little bit bigger to ship and deliver on so why don't you just walk me through the obviously you've got some margin that you're able to be able to play with because you're not having to sell through a retailer but just tell me and characterize the early stages of your direct motion how it went what some of the challenges were and how you kind of like overcame those and started to scale things up yeah well
1: direct wasn't there was
0: no obvious way
1: to do it easily in 2013 you know we were on our own installation of kind of an e-commerce platform that we were hosting on a remote server somewhere and and unfortunately, we have a, and we still have a, a really good friend who's a fantastic developer and who kind of manages, at that point managed kind of that, that installation for us and set it up and kind of integrated all our systems um, to kind of approach the functionality of kind of a fully integrated kind of front-end all the way through third-party warehouse kind of linked system. Um, but figuring out how to do that was a huge challenge because we weren't really set up do that you know we were we had our own kind of erp and we were entering our own orders you know a lot of the stuff we're actually building ourselves so figuring out how to um how to just be an online business from an operational standpoint was was pretty different from kind of just a real traditional wholesale business um so that was certainly the probably the first challenge um and then Once we're kind of all in on direct, we don't have um, these other kind of recurring kind of POs coming from partners. We have to figure out how do we continue to drive discovery and and traffic. And so trying to figure out how Facebook ads work, trying to figure out how Google ads work. I think uh, Amazon, you know, we're trying to figure out Amazon. We actually we didn't realize we should be a seller on Amazon until right before we actually made the transition to rock one of our retailers, listen to our product. on Amazon, And we looked at, it, we're like, wait a minute, we should own this, this product on Amazon, not one of our retailers. And so we kind of scrambled to become a brand. I don't even know if Amazon brand registry was a thing at that point. I don't know where that happened, but it was all, it was all just like totally new thinking that we weren't really used to. So we just had to kind of dig in and,
0: and, try things and iterate and learn and and tell me about the landscape at the time because like you said when when you're looking at 2013 selling a sh- you know a stroller online like the it the wasn't a whole bunch of baby products that were kind of doing that sort of stuff so what was the competitive landscape like what was the response from buyers yeah. um walk me through that yeah yeah we so we were selling travel cribs, so we actually didn't release the
1: stroller until uh 20 end of 2021 beginning of 2022. Uh, so we're still in travel curb category, and we were kind of transitioning between our first product, which I described earlier, and our new, what is now our new travel curb product line, which is the Lotus. Wait, sorry, I forgot what the question was.
0: Say that again. No, the the, <laughs> the, que- <laughs> the question was more about like once you guys had made that transition, I'd like I just characterize the landscape of oh yeah uh, direct direct at that time yeah for 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 this sort of category.
1: The, I don't know if there was any pure direct to consumer baby gear companies at the time if there were there were one or two like we were really unique in doing this um so we kind of saw that as a little bit of a a superpower to be honest because we could kind of sit outside of the kind of existing baby gear industry and none of our competitors really knew much about us what our volumes were you know if we were selling at trade shows and we were going wholesale and Very quickly, what you're doing, if it becomes kind of a material amount of volume or revenue, that becomes that that's easy for competitors to figure out, right? But if we're all on just this direct channel that no one really understands, especially a lot of our competitors still aren't selling direct, then that was a great way to kind of grow in stealth. So that was a fantastic kind of asset for us. And again, at the time, because we were direct, we had this very different margin structure so we could spend a lot on to acquire a customer online relative to our competitors and so we had a bigger megaphone online we could out market on these kind of channels that we were slowly but surely figuring out we could have a bigger presence on them than our um than a lot of our competitors so as kind of you know when parents become quite out there expecting They become like deep researchers. They really like this is a new phase of life. They've never done it before. They spend a lot of time figuring out what it is they need. And that's at the time, that was going to stores and talking to their friends. But right when we made this transition, that was also looking online and doing kind of deep online research. And so we could show, because our margin structure was so different, we could show up better than our competitors could because we were tuned to fit that layer of kind of margin. We could pay to acquire, pay more to acquire customers than our competitors So that was a fantastic asset for us at the time.
0: And in terms of like content strategy there, right? Like what was converting? Were you guys just running like Google ads to a landing page, targeting certain yeah. keywords and people are like, oh, this is a cool thing. I'm going to buy it. Or were you, you know, doing maybe more advanced stuff where you're like running traffic to longer form blog, educational sort of content that's part of a, a conversion funnel?
1: No, it was it was fairly simple. It was, um, you know, there's there's several obvious searches for when a parent is looking for these kind of products, and it was making sure that we were, if not the first, one of the first ones that they saw when they started that process. Um, we were running. I mean, early on, we were very unsophisticated. We were just running to our homepage. Um, there was no concept of a funnel. Um, we, you know, we brought out an agency to kind of help, help us with that because we realized that we were not experts at it, nor were we going to be experts at it. It got, it was so complicated so quickly that, that we wanted to bring people on that were experts at it. And so that's when it started to, we started to be more sophisticated about, um, landing pages and top funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel, all that kind of stuff. But when we were doing it ourselves, when we first started, we were just, we had no idea what we were doing. And it was so easy to spend a ton of money.
0: Yeah, they'll see, see any results, <laughs> and not see anything. Um, all right, so my my next question is: When did you guys start innovating new product lines? Right, like because I think that's a question that a lot of founders have as they're building businesses. It's like you know I've got this core hero product; it's doing well, but like I know if I start another product, it like there's a whole big opportunity that we can tap into. You know, so how far along were you in the business? Um, in terms of like the crib, or, or you know, and what was the next product? Why did you launch it? And what was the kind of green light moment where you're like, now is the time to launch an, another product to our offering?
1: Yeah, that's a really tricky. I mean, baked into that question is where do you spend your time? What do you focus on? Right. That's a really hard thing to figure out. Um, one of our kind of operating principles, kind of core principles was. Um, at least initially for the first couple of product lines, product categories, and it's still the case now because, again, we're not that many product categories. We're very focused. Is we want to make sure we're actually solving a real problem in a distinct and like demonstrably better way, um, especially demonstrably online. Um, and so figuring out what that next problem to solve was honestly the thing that kind of took us the longest. Um, and I think also one of our kind of Four principles is making sure we can grow with good enough margins to have the patience to do that and the um the ability to make mistakes while we're trying to figure out what that is. And um, so it took us a long time to to kind of think through what what is the next product category. Now we 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 came out with accessories and kind of product line extensions on the Lotus. the Lotus isn't just that one product. But again, I, I don't know what the total SKU count is, but that product category is probably 10 SKUs now or something like that. So it's not crazy. We didn't extend it that much. Um but we did spend a lot of time like figuring out what's next, what's next, what's next. So we came up with all sorts of ideas. But if it didn't kind of fit those couple of core principles and then you could layer on the stuff that makes sense for a direct business. Like it has to get small enough to ship and that can in your margin. And it has to have a high enough AOV to make um kind of direct response advertising work Um, and and that kind of advertising also for us is a little tricky because it's not an impulse buy so it's not like we're selling cosmetics or a t-shirt where you can convince someone to buy it on the first or second kind of interaction again these are deeply researched products and so it's hard to kind of like get the attribution right it is for for kind of maybe 20 percent of our customers but most of them look at it think about it then maybe register it and then someone else buys it right so the attribution is really really messy so to be able to have the margin to kind of kind of uh, fit fit that model means it has to be IOV it means to be relatively cheap to ship fortunately our kind of core product the whole idea was it's something big and useful but gets small when you're not using it and that kind of gets us into those lower kind of shipping tiers to, to enable that and so we kind of spun around on what the next product category is for a really long time and in hindsight it's super obvious but i actually hurt my back putting a it was a double jogging stroller but a jogging stroller in the back of our car um i this when we're thinking about this product category i finally had kids unlike like the first product category but and i was like man it's been staring us in the face the whole time like we need to make a running stroller that's smaller and, and much more portable collapses smaller so it doesn't take up the whole back of an SUV and kind of fits into your lifestyle much better. Um and but you know we've never designed a stroller before. So that took us we actually designed the Rome. You know that insight came or that decision to like really invest our time in that category uh was probably 2015. And we spent about five years designing and iterating on the Rome. Um, to make sure it was a product that we were really happy with and, um, again, was actually solved a problem in a better way and was really distinct. I, I think that's a much, well, it's much more fun for us or for me from a kind of product design standpoint because what I don't want to do is you know, we have a lot of traffic and I talked to a lot of you know other, other friends in the industry or advisors and they're like, look, you have all this traffic. Just put your brand on another product that these customers need. And it just, I don't want to be that kind of broad kind of marketplace of commodities. I'd I'd rather spend our time designing really distinct products that actually solve a real problem and parents get a lot of value out of And getting to that point takes some time.
0: Yeah, so to to that point, um, so you guys were named one of Time uh, Magazine's best innovations of, or best inventions of 2022. So why don't you tell me about like, the research and the process of the stroller, because like, I guess the concept is it folds up, um, but not in a typical way. I remember the stroll, the strollers that I used when I was a kid, they kind of like folded up like an umbrella or something, but we're still big, yeah. but this one kind of like folds in half and it's just, it's a lot more portable and the wheels, wheels kind of come in right into yeah. that negative space. So yeah. Why don't you tell me about that design process, the research that went into it and then, um, how you were able to roll it out and, and find that success. Yeah, we actually were inspired by um,
1: golf caddies when we. I think that I, golf cart, I don't know what they're called because I don't play golf. This is it's hilarious. Like we didn't play golf, but we saw these um, golf carriers where you can carry your clubs that fold down in all three dimensions. and They get really small, and so went to the local golf golf shop and bought a bunch of them. And um, conversation there was hilarious because he was really curious why we were buying so many and wondered and started asking about a handicap and we we're just making stuff up <laughs> really we were going to take it back to our office and just tear it all apart and figure it out but it was they were brilliantly designed how do you get something that you know can carry around a golf club a set of golf clubs but then pack down in the uh into this tiny little corner of the, the back of a trunk right um and so we that was kind of where we started and then just you know there's all sorts of product constraints that required it to be a slightly different design than that but that enabled us to kind of figure out over time um how to design something that not only kind of folded flat like you say but also brought the wheels in and there was a couple other products on the market that were similar but they hadn't really figured out how you can make it um, stable and durable in an altering environment and that was kind of the real Kind of key to it was how to, if we were going to make a running, altering running stroller, it had to perform just as well as all the other strollers on the market. How do we get this kind of geometry that folds in this way um, to also be really stable and rugged? And, you know, the product that we're shipping now is is very different than the initial concepts we have. We've got prototypes in the office kind of from each stage. We have through 57 different iterations or something like that. And, which is why it took us so long, um, to kind of get to where we are now. We, I joke with my partners that like, if we were doing design in house for another company, we would have been fired. So like long ago, because it just took us, it it sometimes takes a long time. and, And that's, you know, I love that we've got this business that's kind of operating with the appropriate margins so that we can take that time and be patient to get something out. That's that we think is great we were really excited about it it was very gratifying to get that that kind of times call out and then to get a red dot award on it so
0: yeah that that is especially
1: on a product we never designed before
0: yeah i mean that that's wild in terms of how much goes into it like 57 product turns on a physical product is no joke um that's yeah it's no it's no dyson vacuum like the
1: thousand prototypes or whatever but if you picked apart all the different iterations and prototypes on
0: each kind of component, yeah, it's a lot and it takes a long time. And and help me understand what the the product actually does. So I see it's a stroller and you can like push it around outside, but when you actually fold it up, is it still functional as like a baby seat or like- No. Or, no, it's
1: not. No, no, no. It just that the problem it is solving is all other kind of all-terrain running strollers um, are really big when you fold them. And so when you put them in the back of, you need an SUV to put them in the back unless you want to take the wheels off and then maybe you can fit it in the back of a truck, but it takes up all the space in the back of a car, but that's not how parents live their life. There's so much stuff that goes along with taking your baby somewhere that if you could get some of that trunk space back um, and have something that's smaller, less cumbersome when it's folded up it makes everything so much easier. And so that was kind of the problem that we were solving.
0: Gotcha. And then, so why don't you talk to me about your roadmap from here, right? You've launched this new product. Um, it's clearly doing really well from uh, from a design perspective. You guys are getting all these accolades. Just tell me a little bit more about the business now and the strategy that we've seen. We kind of know how you guys think about building products that solve pro- real problems, really intentional, uh, design cycles until you get it right. So yeah. What, what's next for you guys?
1: Yeah. Well, we're really focused on kind of just building awareness now from the stroller category. Again, we, we have more credibility when we launched the stroller than obviously did when we launched our first product, but it still is a very different category and we're, we're the newcomer in that category. And so, um, you know, word of mouth in our industry is incredibly powerful. And so once you get into that cycle, um, it's it's a really strong uh, kind of competitive advantage. The challenge is when you're in a when you're a newcomer coming into a category where that word of mouth already exists for other products. Um, you not only have to convince someone to buy your product, but you have to convince them to go against the recommendation of their friend because you're new and their friend doesn't know about you. The friend that had has already bought a stroller that's not yours. They don't know about you. And so it just takes some time to kind of break through that kind of already existing word of mouth that the competitors have. And so we're really focused on doing that from kind of all different directions, direct response, um, you know, we're, we've ramped our kind of marketing spend. So our returns are a little lower on the, the stroller category than we're normally comfortable with on our kind of crib category, just because we're in kind of a building, you know, awareness building phase rather than uh, kind of. A little more evergreen phase, like we are in the crib category, um, PR, which we traditionally have never really done much PR prior to the stroller category, but but again, we want to. We're in kind of awareness phase, and that's really helpful. Um, social campaigns we're experimenting with. Um, so that's that's kind of the growth, you know, the early growth phase where we're trying to bend that curve, that kind of get further up that adoption curve with the stroller.
0: Yeah. Uh, I- I always found the baby category like super interesting because it's like a niche category, but there's all these unique characteristics about it, about the buying, like how it's done, the price points, the size to shoot, sure. but at the same time, you've also got all, all these like baked in advantages because like you said, it's going to be hard in the beginning to break through, but once you do break through, then you guys are the default recommendation and parent communities are so tight-knit. You've got strong yeah. word of mouth. Um, and there's all these different things. So I just think it's a, it's really fascinating to think about, um, you know, how you're building products and launching products, and what the go-to-market for each unique product that you build looks like. Um, well, well, very cool. So as we kind of wrap up here, uh, Scott, you know, where can where can our listeners find out more about you, uh, connect with you, or learn more about the brand, or if you want to give your socials a shout out? Sure, guavafamily.com uh aqua family on instagram
1: aqua uh, family on facebook uh yeah we're direct so that's the main channels
0: all right well thanks for coming on the show yeah i really appreciate it buddy. it was fun thanks thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of dtc pod if you enjoyed the show we'd love your support a rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in dtc and beyond follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.